0: Okay, you don't want me to talk about indium.
1: Uh, yeah, we could keep going on and on about every <laughs> material <laughs> held. That would me- make the most interesting program of the year, as we in- it went through the entire catalog of the strategic reserves, item by item and amount nope. by amount. How many troy ounces of anon- unoniums Neum- is it? Rhenium. Yeah. Yes, I mean
0: it's just I think it's I think it's fascinating. I didn't know this stuff existed, and I started <laughs> looking at the stuff that we have. we don't have a lot of some of these things, and I thought, well, why don't we have a lot of it? And then I looked at the price per ounce of the stuff that they store, and went, oh, Whoa. that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, if I would like to have a uh, reninium, or whatever it's called, mine someplace, yeah. and that would be cool.
1: Once more under the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff
0: McClure. McClure.
1: We're here to talk to you about all things economic. Um, But before we start talking about that dismal and dreary science, we have something even more dismal and dreary disclosures uh the two people speaking to you right now this is the most important disclosure you may hear all day are they are bald mm. they are also bearded mm. if this causes triggering in you for some reason you are invited to please switch to a different station or, or turn consult, off the podcast
0: or consult
1: with a qualified counselor yes immediately uh, a second set of disclosures, uh, although these are on a scale of uh, impact to you, probably not as important as the others, um, the, uh, the program you're listening to is the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, the name Personal Wealth Coach or the Personal Wealth Coach is also the name of an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission to give fiduciary investment advice. Just because it's registered and it's sort of the same people talking on here that do the firm and back and forth doesn't mean, number one, that the SEC thinks that we're any better than anybody else. In fact, they just know how to find us. Um, What it does mean is that we have some tighter regulation on what we're allowed to say and not say. Uh, So to be very clear on that. Registered to give fiduciary advice, which we cannot give on the air. So the in in, the inside of everything that we do, fiduciary, find the best thing for the client. We can't do that on the air, but we can teach you stuff. So this is education, not advice. If it were advice, we'd actually have to be one on one or two on one or some other version of wrestling, where we were uh, sitting together with some degree of privacy and talking to you about your individualized stuff. And I'm not even sure anybody's listening to it. Well, yep, somebody's listening. Philip, thank How you for you? listening. He told me we need to bring it today. Yeah, nothing like putting the pressure on, guys. This what is are a, we bringing? Um, I'm bringing spaghetti. What do, you, what do you have in mind?
0: Well, I normally try to
1: eat meat. All right. Uh, so steak and spaghetti. We're going to bring it today. Um, hmm. We aren't giving advice. We're giving education. We're registered with the SEC, but they don't give us any kind of approval or thumbs up or anything else. Um, we're bald. We're bearded. Uh, you, you've got one you want to throw in there. There's another important disclosure in here.
0: Well, the information we provide on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information.
1: Or unsaid information, for that matter, because unsaid oh, information oh, I we will. give... Full guarantee and warranty that it is incomplete.
0: I will warrant that all unsaid information
1: is unsaid. FOB Detroit. Sorry. I had to finish that up. Okay. And the very, very last thing before we start talking 10 minutes into the hour about actually what we're here to talk about is that we're not paying for this radio spot. This is not paid commercial programming. We don't pay the station and they don't pay us. We've been doing this program for free for a long time. I'm coming up on 25 years now. In February, I'll be doing, I'll have been doing this program with you for 25 years. And
0: I think I did it for a year before you came on board. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah, I think it's around 26 years we've been doing
1: this. So that's a long time to not get paid for Saturday mornings. So that's all right. We're, we're okay with that. I'm just, is is the equivalent of humble bragging and that we're saying we're martyrs, but uh, we're fine. We're fine. I guarantee, I, I assure you. Um, okay. So why are we doing it for free? I get that question because there's nothing out there that helps people understand what's going on. If you read the wall street journal, most of what you read, you don't know what it means. So this is kind of our give back. We do get some clients out of this, and the studio advertises for us, and we advertise for, or, or advertises for this radio program, and we pay money to advertise for the radio program as well. So, Senator, there is no quid pro quo or any other Latin word, especially not um, bad ones. Right. I want to give a brief overview of the many topics that we may hit on today because they're new. Uh, The retirement package in the omnibus spending bill that's being referred to as Secure 2.0 about retirement ages and when required distributions occur and all kinds of other stuff, but more specifically, opening a window into the brains of Congress so we'll talk a little bit about why it is that bills don't make any sense when they come out. Um, we, I mean, massive changes there. We have uh, what is apparently a, a a recession going on in uh, in Europe. China opening up on COVID and the illnesses going stratospheric, but also the exports picking up and the manufacturing picking up in China. All of these things are important. Uh, We're also going to be talking about the likelihood of recession and what that means and how we come up with this stuff. Where are we gathering this data that says whether or not we're going to have a recession and how fundamentally inaccurate it is or isn't. (laughs) So uh, we've got two questions. The first one I'm going to hand off to you. It is from Inquisitor John. Inquisitor John is our most faithful questioner. He questions us on everything, um, and uh, his question, uh, first question this week, is uh, he's got, as is tradition, a picture that he's taken of the paper Wall Street Journal. The analog wall street journal has been digitized and emailed to us with a question about an article. Uh, the, uh, question is where and how are stockpiles maintained? And he's talking about a series of different, um, raw material stockpiles, key straw raw material stockpile, uh, gets boost is the, is the article's headline. So, uh, you want to go ahead and begin that?
0: Yeah. John, this is a complex, more complex question than the uh, newspaper article would suggest. Uh, the national defense stockpile that was started in 1939 at the beginning of World War II is run by the Defense uh, Logistics Agency, which is a branch of defense that's neither the Army, Navy, Marines, or Air Force. It's
1: under the Secretary of Defense. And one quick interjection not to be confused with the strategic national stockpile there are about right. five different stockpiles with the word strategic and some version of national or defense in the title because congress has made more than one of them over the years okay continue but
0: the one you're asking about the national defense stockpile uh where is the stuff stored well officially according to the national defense uh, the I mean the defense, the defense the logistics, logistics agency yes. which the national defense stockpile is part of the national defense stockpile uh, actually has only 100 employees but it has 17 official storage sites across the United States and there's probably more and the answer is lots of places uh, it's based in Fort Belvoir how much of it is stored in Fort Belvoir is open question that's where their administration offices is are and I found several different references to the numbers of places that it's stored. It's stored in a lot of places, which is a really good idea. They don't store it all in one place. Um, you know, in the Army, we used to say one one artillery round could take you all out, take out all of you if you cluster together. So people get would spread out for defense. And the... The stockpile is spreading out. By the way, the newspaper article suggests that they're buying up a bunch of stuff, and they are. But they're also selling a bunch of stuff at any given moment. Because if the Congress or the Defense Department declares that they have excess whatever, uh, they go into the market and sell it. And they are, in many cases, the largest supplier, in some cases, of um, rare and exotic materials used in electronics in the world.
1: Some cases. When when we've talked about the national budget and spending and so on, quite often we talk about revenue from uh, corporate tax income, corporate income tax, and revenue from estate tax, and revenue from uh, personal income taxes, and revenue from other. The revenue from other, most of these stockpiles are net profitable to the US government in that they're buying up when things are traditionally low priced and selling them back to everyone else when they're really high priced. So there's, there is a net benefit here. There are stockpiles under the Defense Logistics Agency, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Commerce Department. There may be others as well. So there's obviously stockpiles under defense that have nothing to do with raw materials for constructing defense items. So we have completed defense stuff in stockpiles, too. So there's a lot of different, and they're all secret, and they're all everywhere, and you don't know what they are. They could just be a warehouse that's standing out there that doesn't have a logo on it. Um, That's generally what they are. And there's actually an order
0: the the top of it above these stockpiles is the Directorate of Strategic Planning and Market Research. So I think that was cool. They have market research people. Um, they have ma- Directorate of Material Management, and it is a complicated bureaucracy that is theoretically continually looking for things we're short of, that including rare earths. Some of the rare earths they have are really rare, unlike <laughs> most rare earths. Uh, so whenever something comes up and they by the way, this is one of the things they do with defense contracting is when a defense contract is let to make a new fighter jet or a new tank or whatever, uh, or an old one for that matter, the contractor has to identify critical things in the in the defense related object or thing that they're doing. They have to identify, raw materials that are hard to get in the United States or can't be gotten in the United States. And they then, by law, automatically get included in the Defense Logistics Agency's uh, directorate someplace. And so quietly, <laughs> very, now this is very quietly and very secretly through, right. through third-party brokers, the Defense Logistics Agency goes out and quietly begins to accumulate these items that are not available in the United States so that they don't run the price up. Cobalt and, they, and
1: magnesium and lots and lots of things that we don't produce a lot of in the United States. Yeah.
0: so Like uh, aluminum, lithium alloy, beryllium, copper, master alloy, yeah. cadmium, zinc, telluride. And a lot it of times. like someplace you'd go
1: skiing right and when when purchasing in the united states during the pandemic most purchases of things like that were secretly being made from our strategic reserves so just hold that in mind it's that's a functional part of our government and i really don't it's complicated bureaucratic and ultra secretive but somehow it's working which Mm -hmm. means i don't really want to open up the hood on that and stick my fingers in because it could all stop working at once. I I don't know. Well,
0: Um, among, among the things they pile and I think this is fun. You have probably never heard of this. Hafnium. Right. Yeah. We have to have hafnium.
1: Okay. So moving on to the next question. All right. The next question from John is one that covers a broader range than maybe he even knew. Um, He's got an article uh, from the wall street journal again. And there's a whole section that's circled that's basically saying the 60-40 portfolio is in trouble. There is a change from growth to value going on right now. Think people should buy companies that are actually profitable. And both of us said, wow, this is brilliant. Uh, Obviously, it's brilliant because it agrees with us. So um, in the middle of that, it talks about something called inflation-linked paper. And... Uh, inflation-linked paper in the middle of all of this. What what is what does that even mean? And that's his question. What is uh, what is inflation-linked paper? And let me see if I can. Um, uh, I, I won't. It, it's a long quote, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's basically what's going on in the world. Uh, bonds are in turmoil, and inla- inflation-linked paper is a big part of our life now. And he says, "What is it?" Well. It's a kind of loan. It's a kind of loan that is generally un- only done by institutions getting the loan that are absolutely massive. Um, so if you go to, to, if you say, hey, I want to get a loan, and you feel like there's a lot of people willing to give you loans, but you want to make sure you have a good relationship with them over a long period of time, you may offer a little perk on some of the loans that you're getting saying, hey, I'll link it to inflation, and I won't just pay you the normal interest. We're going to put that interest rate and float it on this uh, algorithm that talks about inflation, whether it's the CPI or the core CPI. You make that decision when you're getting the loan. Well, that's an expensive way of doing a loan. Uh, it's expensive because you have to calculate inflation. So you have to have in the contract an agreed upon algorithm that you're following. This is what we're calling inflation. And then you have to keep up with it and make sure that the interest rate actually changes to match inflation as you're going along. and uh, and so that's you know when you if you're talking about a treasury inflation protected security, that is a loan net. Um, It's tacking inflation on top of what's paid in the interest. If you're talking about um, an I-bond, we've talked about I-bonds as savings. That's got inflation tacked on it. It only changes its interest rate once or twice a year um, because it's expensive to follow those interest rates and figure them out. If you did it on an average daily balance, somebody would have to actively be managing each loan. And... That gets expensive that's why most companies don't issue inflation protected securities inflation bonds ford doesn't do it Microsoft isn't doing it. They might at some point if we have a really easy way of managing that but it's a it's a layer of extra bureaucracy and this is this is where I really want to go here it's resting on a strange set of algorithms that most people have no clue about, but without them the quality of the majority of our lives would be much worse. What am I talking about? Well, if you're on social security and you get a cost of living increase, how is that figured? Well, it's based on some bureaucrats in a building somewhere or multiple buildings that are looking at how much your potential rent value in a house you aren't actually renting out is. And, we we talk about bureaucrats and we and we give, you know, the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Bureau of Labor Statistics a great deal of respect. We're missing a word in American English that I think we should have. And they have it in England. They have it across the UK. It's called Boffin. We have a bunch of boffins in these bureaucracies that are absolutely brilliant people, maybe not in all aspects of things they could be brilliant about, but in a very, very focused area that most people don't understand at all. But without this relatively few number of people who are just sitting around making measurements all day long, the amount of money you make per month would be different. It'd probably be lower. And this is another one of those things. Our our lives get more complicated every day and we get people that are specializing in career paths and Um, and there's this complaint of nobody knows how electricians do their work anymore or how to use, how to plumb their house. And when I was a kid, we used to fix our own cars and, and things are getting more and more complex. Now, the code that we follow for an electrician is more complex. The code that we follow for plumbing is more complex than it used to be. It's making it harder for an individual to do all the things. Think how hard it would be for an individual to figure out how much pay to increase based on inflation if you don't know what inflation is. Do you have to go and calculate that yourself? So we've got weirdnesses in our economy that have never existed in the history of humanity. We have people whose only job it is is to m- measure the prices on things that they're not actually buying and have no intention of buying. And some of the things that they're measuring prices on don't actually exist. Like what is the rental value of a house that's not being rented? Um we think it's this. Um so this is worthwhile to think about at the beginning of the year that we have really weird it's it's almost like a priesthood of money that's not really measuring the money. I mean, it's not really worshiping the mother money. It's just spending a lot of time watching it or thinking about what it does. And at the same time that we're doing that, our universities are building whole programs on this esoteric theory of watching things change in value and measuring it and trying to figure out how that works. And weirdly, we're getting better at it. We're getting better at this really complicated measurement process of who lives in this country, um, and that's cool.
0: I know I'm going on and on. Can I give one more thing here? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, it's good stuff. I read a really interesting article yesterday about the fact that we may very well actually have those self-driving cars we've been promised, and it won't be from Tesla. There is an Israeli company that was actually spun off from Microsoft that is making tremendous strides in artificial intelligence driving they have and they won't say who is using their technology they are really secretive about it but they have apparently test vehicles on the roads right now under the this is the this is the position they're taking it is a no hands eyes on condition in other words they have test vehicles driving in the United States right now where there's a driver in the vehicle, but the driver does not have his or her hands on the steering wheel all across the country doing, driving in bad weather, and they are refining this, and it looks like they are making some very significant progress. And uh, we really could have those self-driving vehicles that we've been talking about in the not too far distant future. That will make a huge difference and, and the difference again is a parallel, and a lot of people are not aware of this. You have to actually dig to find this. But it was in the 1920s that the United States made the transition from horsepower to internal combustion engine power. We started before the 1920s, but going into the 19 well, going into World War One, I, I will tell you there were a lot of military transport items moved around at the beginning or during the prior to 1920. That were pulled by horses, and they were kind of at the cutting edge of technology at that point. The the militaries were, and in the 1920s is when we made the transition from horsepower to uh, gasoline engine power, and we're making a transition right now to electric power and artificial intelligence. And I think by the end of the decade, we will have seen such a tremendous technological boom in so many areas, in so many ways, and there'll be so much wealth accumulated um, that even if we have a recession in in 2023 or 24 it'll be so mild that it'll be a recession that's on the books but not in the pocketbooks that is my opinion the one thing that i can say that might throw that off is it's almost a sure thing that most of the rest of the world will be in recession in 2023 yeah and they buy a lot of stuff from us and as a result they won't be buying as much stuff from us so that'll hurt us
1: i agree and, and
0: long long answer to a simple question yeah
1: so Laying it out, it's pretty clear from the leading economic indicators. There's there's another piece to the puzzle that I want to throw in here, too. People spend differently when their house price is going up than when their house price is going down. Why is that? Because houses are not money. In case any of you are are confused about this, houses are not money. It's really, really hard to buy groceries with your house. You can sell your house and buy groceries, uh, but your house will not buy groceries on its own. I mean, it's not money. But for some reason, this is part of the reason last year when we were talking about the boffins that we're worried about the rental value of a house that isn't being rented and why we consider that part of inflation. Because people tend to spend more when their house value goes up. They may not have more money in the bank, but when they feel like their house is worth more money, they spend more. So what's happening in the housing market right now? And the housing market is in decline. It is lower than it was. Year over year, it's down. What does that mean? It means people who have felt euphoric over the price of their house and felt comfortable spending a little extra are going to start to think a little differently about it. Now, it's probably not going to hit all at once or maybe not hit at all because the downturn in prices is very small at this point from a year ago. Now, when we get to uh, April, we may see that the downturn in prices are slightly more because in April of last year, that was the peak of the housing prices where the houses were the highest. So in April of this year, even if they don't move down anymore, it's going to look like we had a greater decline. That's the whole annualized thing we were talking about. So it's going to look in April like we had a greater de- decline in the value of houses, even though it, it's if you weren't selling your house, you, there's, it's still your house. There's, the value is irrelevant. People still change the way they spend based on that data. And so we can expect that to be a factor on how quickly people are spending in the future. Savings are coming down, a credit card uh, loans are moving up in balance. Um, the, uh, and these are all things that we're using to fuel our economy right now. So I would say a greater than 70% chance in the 18 months coming that we have a recession that see, I went out on a limb and I actually said it. Um, I would say we could completely skip it as well, but, and that's that 30% chance just looking around We've got, we're due one. We're actually really due a recession and recessions are kind of good for us long-term. It's not fun when they happen, don't get me wrong, but it's that old saying, you don't know who's not wearing swimming trunks till the tide goes out. Uh, this is the time that we catch, catch the scam artists that are selling stuff that aren't profitable that, that they've been claiming there are. When we see stuff like the crypto collapse uh Bernie Madoff didn't get caught until we had a collapse. We required a collapse in order to need to take money out of this mythically amazing how, Why would you take money out of a portfolio that was making money all the time? It's just growing into astronomically large numbers. Why would you take money out of it? Well, because other assets dropped and you needed to make up the difference. You needed to make the ends meet, so you grabbed from the place that was doing well. Only it really wasn't. This is how we catch scam artists. It's how we know when a business that's not profitable, but is claiming it's going to be. And then we find out there's really never a way for them to get to profitability. So this is when we collect this stuff. We've been about 10 years without a slowdown enough. And when you look at it more directly, it's been about 15 years since we've had an honest-to-goodness recession. The the recession that we had at the beginning of the pandemic doesn't really count because it was so not the normal recession. You didn't have time to retool and rethink because everybody was sitting at home and not able to work together. We were figuring out ways to do that. The, The recession, that almost didn't happen because the money came in from the federal government and from the Federal Reserve and from all the different places under two administrations coming together to fund uh, the stimuli that caused us to not have a long recession right then. And other people on the planet had a long recession at that point. So now we've come forward to now, and that excess money that was granted to us then is part of the reason why, a very small part, of the reason, but a part of the reason why we're having inflation, but a major part of why we are not in recession right now while Germany is moving into it and China very likely is in recession. There, that was my attempt at s- smearing the window enough that you could see through it, but it's still smeared <laughs> Well, it's clear nobody as mud, can see through it.
0: It's clear as mud, but it covers the ground. Yeah. We're almost out of time, but I want to say what would cause the extra spending to stop. Right. If people saw deflation begin to take place, this is when people stop spending and they think it'll be, they'll save money by waiting to buy something, then the extra spending will stop.
1: Right. And when we get back down to a level that feels uncomfortable when you look at the bank balance and that's a behavioral question, nobody knows when that point will be. People will stop spending their money. Once their bank account balances and their money market balances get low enough.
0: And their credit card rates get positions get higher.
1: Right. And all things being equal, that's somewhere in September of 2023. Mm-hmm. So just be aware of that out there. Whoa. So, so we, we're out, we, money. we we got to wrap up for this hour and go yeah. to next hour. Cause we're almost, we've got more to talk about on that subject. Hopefully this is enough to leave a cliffhanger. If you'd like to talk us to us off the air, we do give, Individualized custom fiduciary investment advice and portfolio management. Uh the phone number for our office during uh locally is 254
0: 947
1: Or two five or one-eight hundred-nine one four-seven five two six. That's eight hundred-nine fourteen plan. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, contact us through the contact form or email us through Jeff at TPWC.com or Jake at TPWC.com can listen to podcasts and so on. Until next hour, this is the Personal Wealth Code.